kind of is the passing of the guard because in this passage, Saul truly recognizes that David is going to be uh, the next king. But if you're kind of following along, you know we've skipped a couple of chapters here. Um, and, and so we're going to be looking at this passage uh, in just a moment. But, you know, as I mentioned kind of in the opening, uh, patience is probably uh, one of the most difficult fruits of the Spirit to bear, but there's times where it is the most important. Um, David was in a position where he knew that God intended him to be king. God, you know, Samuel had anointed him. He knew that God intended him to be king next. Um, but he also knew that it wasn't time for that to occur just yet. So uh, he was in this kind of waiting uh, phase where it felt like, I need to be patient, but at the same time, if, 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 if Saul lives, Saul's going to try to kill him. Um, since we're moving ahead in the story, I'll just kind of tell you some of the things that has happened since then. Um, so kind of when we concluded, um, you know, Jonathan had, had told Saul, don't, don't try to kill David. And, 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 and pretty much they had reached a, a point where Saul promised once again he wasn't going to try to kill David. Um, but that's not really true. Uh, that, that wasn't really the case. And so um, there came a time where David was supposed to go back into the presence of Saul. Uh, but he knew that he was probably, um, there was probably a plan to kill him, so instead he avoided uh, and told Jonathan, if you find out that Saul's really trying to kill me, let me know. And Jonathan finds that out. And so he lets David know, and David is now on the run. As David is on the run, he actually receives help, he and his men, from a priest. Well, that priest's kindness is repaid by Saul because Saul kills the priest, and he kills the priest's entire family, save one man. Um, and that wasn't on purpose. That man escaped. And so that shows you the, the depth of Saul's soul. Um, there's a lot of sermons that I could pull out of 1 Samuel and show you just how deep into sin and just how bad Saul had become. Um, but, but I think by just mentioning the fact that there came a point where a priest had helped David and he killed the priest. And, and the priest said, how am I supposed to know that David's a bad guy? All I know is he killed Goliath and that, that he brought glory to Israel. And, and Saul killed him for it. And so we can see there that, that, that whatever conscience, whatever goodness might have been in Saul at some point, that that was, that was gone. He had pushed all that away so that he could pursue his own personal vendetta against David. Um, David actually finds time in the midst of running away from Saul. He finds time to go and rescue an Israelite city that has been attacked by the Philistines. Um, but as soon as he rescues them, uh, he has to leave because Saul is closing in on him. And so as Saul is closing in on him in, in kind of a remote area, uh, Saul finally hears the Philistines are attacking again. And Saul has to go be king for a little while. If you'll recall, the, what the people wanted was a king that would go out and fight their battles for them. And so these Philistines have attacked, uh, and Saul has to go and fight them. And that gets us to where we are today. Um, so really what we can say is that much has happened in the lives of, of Saul and David, but nothing has really changed. Saul still seeks the life of David, and David still seeks to do the will of the Lord. That's where they were when we left them. That's where they are when we, uh, when we pick them up. Um, so the sermon in a sentence is this. Uh, as desperate as we are to see God's plan fulfilled, we must never run ahead of him. That is so, so true in all of our lives in every situation. There's times where you have no idea what God's going to do. And in those cases, it's kind of easy to be patient because you don't know. 
Um, but in cases where you might know what God wants or might know what God's plan is, being patient is one of the most difficult things we will do because we know. And anytime we see a path to do what would make it happen, we want to take that path. But let me just mention something to you. This is a little cliche, but it's worth saying. Not every open door is God's will. Not every time there is an open door in front of you is it God's will. Sometimes you've got to look and realize that some opportunities are not the opportunities we should take. So let's read this chapter. It's not very long, um, but it's kind of interesting to see what happens here. Uh, I'm going to let you use your imagination on certain things that I won't really describe, um, and you'll know what I mean when we get there. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men from the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose stealthily and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David arose, also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord the king. Then Saul looked behind him. David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, and for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients say, Out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. And after whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore judge and give sentence between me and you, and see to it, and plead my cause, and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. 
and you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. All right, so as we look at this, the first thing I think we see is a golden opportunity. Um, Saul had to momentarily pause his pursuit of David uh, to do his job as king and protect his people from the Philistines. And again, remember, that was one of his job descriptions. Go out and fight our battles for us. And so that's what Saul had to do. And he took the army to fight the Philistines. Apparently he was victorious and the Philistines went on their way. And it says that Saul chose then... 3,000 choice men. He, he chose the best warriors to pursue David to his last known locations. Now, what I will say about this is that at this particular time, David is, is, is traveling with something like 400 men. Uh, there's been some things that's happened since the Bible gave you that number, and so his numbers could have swelled a little bit or they could have shrank a little bit. That's how it is when, when, when you're on the move like that, an army on the move, there's going to be some come and go. So roughly 400 people is what David had. So think about that. That was a pretty large cave. Um, so anyway... Saul's once again on the war path um, against the man who has brought the most glory to his kingdom. If we read these, um, these narratives in 1 Samuel carefully, nobody does more for Saul than David. Nobody brings more glory to Israel than David. Nobody is more successful against the Philistines than David. Everything David's done has really helped to strengthen Saul's position in the kingdom. But that's not the way Saul sees it. Saul sees everything as a threat. He sees everything as, as danger for him. He sees everything as a problem. And so he then feels that he has to take David out before David's reputation gets so great that he might take over the kingdom. And so as we, as we think about this for just a minute, Saul is like all the other kings in the world. God answered the Israelites' prayer to a T. Give us a king like the other nations. The kings of the other nations were suspicious. The kings of the other nations were vindictive. The kings of the other uh, nations would kill anybody, including their own children, if they thought that somebody was after their crown. The kings of the other nation are sinful and wicked, and that's what they got in Saul. And that is the exact opposite of what David is at this point in his life. Um, so David was doing only good for Saul, and Saul was doing only evil for him. So... What I find difficult personally is why did people continue to follow Saul to try to kill David when they knew who David actually was? Uh, it seems that they were more willing to believe the lies of Saul than they were to believe what they had seen with their own eyes, heard with their own ears. If you're talking about some of the best warriors, 
Some of these best warriors had served under David. Some of these best warriors had fought alongside David against the Philistines. So these guys would have known him. They would have had the bond of battle with him, but yet they were still willing to go after Saul. And so that lets you know just how significant leadership is. That lets you know just how true it is. You know, in the Old Testament, we see that a good king leads the people in a good direction. A bad king leads the people in a bad direction. And you might say, well, the people have some say in that too. They can be righteous or they can be unrighteous. And and the reality is, for the most part, they struggle to do anything other than what their king leads them to do. And so that's what we see here even with these 3,000 men. So while they're out there searching for David, um, the king needs a, a break. And so he goes into this cave. He just happens to go in a cave. And now these guys, I'm impressed. Um, 400 or so men stay so quiet that Saul can do his kingly business, and, and they don't, he, Saul never hears these men, never hears that there's 400 guys in the back of the cave. And so this is a, um, this is a, a moment here. Um, Saul was in no position to defend himself. Um, he certainly uh, would have been a prime target for anyone who found him at this point. Um, and and this, is, um, this is where we see uh, David with a, with a choice. Uh, when Saul was at his most vulnerable, David is faced with an opportunity to speed up God's plan. I want you to notice that some of his men use the word of God to try to get David to strike down Saul in this moment. That's a quote from the Old Testament. They used to try to get David to strike down Saul in that moment. And, and I want you to know that Somebody can always find you a Bible verse to justify what you're about to do. Somebody can find it somewhere. They might have to twist it just a little bit. They might have to manipulate it, take it out of its context. But some, somebody can always find you a Bible verse to justify what you're about to do. You will find that. But we have to remember that David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man that had a close relationship with God. So... You know, it would be easy for David to assume that the only thing that's keeping him from the crown was the life of Saul, the fact that Saul was still alive. And there's no doubt that David was tempted in that moment to take the life of Saul and make himself a king by his own power. Um, and it really does seem like there would never be another better opportunity to do this um, because the reality is we don't know what David was thinking um, but just in the way that things go, it seems like, this is not what happened, but it seems like there's going to come a time where the men that are faithful to David and the men that are faithful to Saul are going to fight. That's what it seems like. And I'm sure David was at least thinking about that, like if I kill Saul now, I save the lives of the people on both sides of that battle who are Israelites. So David possibly even was thinking along those lines. And so what happens if David does kill Saul in this moment? Now, I think that we probably need to play this out a little bit so that you can see that, that even, though, even though in that moment it would have been difficult for David to see all the, the, the ramifications, it would have been horrible for David to kill Saul in that moment. It would have been really, really horrible. So first of all, you got 400 men in a cave. You kill Saul, you step out of that cave, you've got, because they're going to come looking for him if he doesn't come out eventually, you've got 3,000 against 400. Maybe those 400 can hold the mouth of that cave for a while. 
but they don't have food, they don't have water, they don't have other provisions. Eventually, they're going to be overcome. So probably, if David kills Saul in that moment, he and all of his men eventually end up dead. Regicide is a big deal. And so killing Saul would have been bad in that moment as well. So let's say, for just, just, just to kind of go along this, this academic exercise for a minute, let's say David does kill Saul, and he comes out, you know, maybe he chops his head off or whatever he does, he comes out with Saul's head and he says, look, just as I slayed the giant, I have now slayed Saul, I am your king. And let's just say, just for, you know, the fun of it, let's say that the 3,000 men, they, they immediately swear allegiance to, to David and David is the king, right? Let's just say that's, that's what happens. David says, okay, I'm king. So when he gets back to Gibeah, when he gets back to, to where, you know, the capital was at that time, there's Jonathan. There's Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of the king. And even though the, the, there had not been like a line of secession and a dynasty set up yet, you still got to square with Jonathan. And, and, and not that Jonathan would have tried to stand in David's way uh, in, in, in any way, but don't you think there would have been people that would have said, no, this isn't right. You can't just kill the king and become the king. We support Jonathan. We support the royal line. And so there still would have been a battle. There still would have been trouble. Even though in the moment it seemed right, there would have been all kinds of reasons why David shouldn't have done this. The main reason is it wasn't God's plan. It wasn't God's will. But maybe David didn't have a chance to think about all the other ramifications, but he at least was obedient to God in that moment not to do the thing that would have been easiest uh, in this moment. So in the end, David trusted God's plan and his timing more than he trusted his own judgment. I strongly recommend that. Trust God's plan. Trust God's timing more than your own judgment because our own judgment... No matter how noble we're trying to be, no matter how smart we think we are, God, he, he knows more. And he is in better position to know what needs to be done in that moment. Trust God. So, even the action of David cutting off the corner of Saul's garment, even that strikes his conscience. We have to recognize um, it grieves him um, because in some way he has raised his hand against the Lord's anointed. That's how close David was in step with God because he recognized even at that moment that he had done that. Um, there are some commands in, in Scripture, don't, don't do anything against your Lord, the, the anointed of God, and David had, in, in, in that way, he had transgressed that. Now, he was, he, was, he was contrite about that, and he also convinced his men not to take it any further than that, and he certainly uh, did that. There's also... Um, the, the king's robes were prescribed by God how they were supposed to be. So for them to be cut, that made them invalid. So it, it, there's some symbolism there that, that David was saying that Saul was an invalid king, but he wasn't going to be the one to kill him. Uh, and we, we, do, we, can, we can definitely see that in David's words that, you know, I, I want God to judge you. I want, I want God to do what's right by you, which is to, to be judged, but it's not going to be by my hand. And so David does, um, he does do that. So he convinces his men to let Saul leave that cave in peace and go about, you know, his own business. Um, and I don't think that, that David does that if he doesn't have a close, close walk with the Lord. Um, you know, he was determined to follow the Lord. He was also determined to respect the fact that Saul, at least at one time, was God's choice for Israel. Even if, even if he had been rejected. Even if he had done the wrong thing. And David knew that Saul had killed a priest. Um, 
later in David's life, if he finds that someone has killed a priest, he's probably going to respond differently. But in this moment, Saul was God's anointed, and, and, and David knew not to raise his hand against God's anointed. And, and so um, that was the choice that he made at that particular time. So we must always be careful in our own lives to walk closely to the Lord and look for his directions. So very simply, if you are far away from someone, it's difficult to hear what they're saying. And so if God is going to lead you, your best position is to be near him so that you can hear him. How, how, how do we get near to God? Well, we spend time in his word. We spend time in prayer. We do the things, the simple things that he has told us we must do so that when he gives us a clear direction about a specific situation, we can hear him. We've got to be near to God so that we can hear that. Um, you know, we should never, ever try to put ourselves in God's place to kind of fulfill his plan for him. God doesn't need help. Now, we could spend probably a whole sermon series talking about people that tried to fulfill God's plan for him. Um, and in every one of those cases, it is, it is chaos, it is disaster, it is sorrow, heartache, it leads to trouble. And so that's definitely something that we uh, should not try to do ourselves. We should learn from the lessons of others in that, in that moment. So Saul's out of the cave, David's following him up, and so here uh, we see a sincere plea for sanity. That's where... Um, that's where we find ourselves as, as David steps out of that cave and begins to speak, um, begins to, speak to Saul. So it's easy to imagine the, the, the tension that would have existed, um, especially once David had went and, and taken the corner of Saul's uh, garment and went back and had that conversation with the men. It's easy to understand the kind of tension that might have existed there while they're waiting on Saul to leave. Because if Saul stands at the door and says, wait a minute, there's something wrong, and calls his men, you've got problems. But it's, it's easy to imagine the tension that was there. We can also imagine Saul, as he does leave that cave and he heads back to his soldiers, you can see him you know, probably barking out orders and getting ready to get back on the hunt for David. You can kind of see that image and, and, and see that busyness begins to, 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 to kind of churn up within the, the, the camp, not that they camp, but the, the men. Um, and it's at that point that David steps to the mouth of the cave and calls out to the king. And that would have stopped everything and everybody. That would have shut everything down. David would have been recognizable enough that everybody knew who he was in that moment. So David reveals to Saul that he has spared the king's life. I've, I've spared your life. Here I was behind you when you were vulnerable, when you had no way to defend yourself. Here I am. I saved your life. Like That's the first thing um, that David pretty much uh, let Saul know about. Now, we probably all experience this at some point, but the, the cold chill that would have just ran down Saul's spine would have straightened him out for just a little while. You know, when, when you know that you've cheated death somehow, that, 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 that fear, it's almost like a, it's an after effect of you should have been afraid, you didn't know to be afraid, but you should have been, that kind of fear, that would have been what, what Saul felt in that moment. And so it would have straightened him out at least for a short period of time, but what we see is that David is not prideful, he's not gloating, he's completely humble, um, both in the way that he addresses Saul verbally and the fact that he pays homage to him, he bows to Saul. He is showing that he is still submitting to the authority of Saul even after all the things that Saul has done. Uh, David wants Saul to know, um, or, or David wants to know why Saul would be listening to people that were saying, David means you harm. 
all he's ever done is brought good into his life. Why were you listening to other people? He had nothing to fear from David. <clears throat> David actually proves that he didn't intend to harm the king in any way because he shows this piece of fabric. This is how close I was to you, king. Here's the corner of your own garment. Um, if David had desired to hurt the king in any way, this would have been the moment that, that he would have done it. Even if he wanted to you know, go down that path of violence and destruction, this would have been the moment to kill Saul for sure. And it's possible that David could have negotiated his way out of that once the king is dead. It doesn't seem like Saul was going to win a whole bunch of popularity contests anyway, so maybe, maybe he could have gotten out of it in that way. But he reveals that even some of his men counseled him to go ahead and kill Saul in that moment, but all he did was take that corner of his robe. Um, and this serves as, as proof. David's saying, look, like I, I really could have had your life in my hands if I wanted to, but I chose not to do that. Um, and, and so David wants Saul to know um, that he has and will continue to walk uprightly and he's not going to sin against the king. He's not going to do anything against the king. He's not going to strike out in any way. So David actually, he's very humble as he asks Saul to serve Israel rather than pursue his own wicked plans. Um, because what he's essentially accusing Saul of in, in these statements is you've got the, the nation's soldiers... You are the king, and you're out pursuing a dead dog. You're out pursuing a flea. So that's what that proverb is all about. Wicked people do wicked things. That's the first thing he talks about. But then when he says, who is the king of Israel come out to pursue? A dead dog? A flea? So David is minimizing himself. He's saying, I am worthless. I am of no concern to you, but you are the king of Israel. Go do the job that you were anointed to do. So he's, he's criticizing Saul, but he still does it in such a self-deprecating way um, that it would have had the effect that it needed to. It's also worth pointing out at this point um, that if David had done anything to Saul, he would have set the precedent for being able to harm God's anointed, for being able to harm um, the, the, the king that God had chosen, which would have made his life infinitely more dangerous himself because then anybody that wants to be king after David can just go and kill David because David killed the original king. And so that definitely would have had him looking over his shoulders um, pretty much for the rest of his life. Um, he also, that would not have left a good example for others to follow. Um, and, and so instead, he chose patience in this moment to wait and let God fight his battles for him, which was very important. Um, if, he was going, if he was going to assume the crown the right way, he was going to have to be patient. And you know, we're going to have to wait on the Lord we all sometimes face situations where we think we know what's best. But if we wait on God, God will provide. And, 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 and usually, what we see when we think is, is what's best is very tempting. It's something that's very tempting, that's very good. It seems like it would be right. And, and, and in fact, you remember how I told you, you can always find somebody that can find a Bible verse to justify what you're doing. You probably can find lots of Bible verses to justify what you think is, is best. But we've got to be careful that we're not walking out on our own. Always allow God to lead. Be patient until you know what God wants you to do, and then you can act according to His plan and according to what He says. All right, so the last little part here, we're looking at a temporary reprieve, which is all David ever gets from Saul, because after David finishes speaking... 
Saul does begin to speak up. Um, and, and Saul seems like he's been humbled at least for the time being. It says that he raises up his voice and he weeps when he hears the voice of David. And, and you've got to remember, the voice of David, his original purpose in the palace was to sing, to play his lyre, to soothe Saul when he was going through those very difficult times. So that voice of David had brought him some peace, had brought him some healing at certain times in his life. Saul admits um, his evil ways and recognizes the righteousness of David's actions. In fact, he goes so far as to say, you are more righteous than I. He makes it just that plain. And, and, and truer words have not been spoken. Saul was pretty well completely wicked. Uh, and David was good at this point. And so you are more righteous than I is very true. David had continued to do good and to do good to the king even though the king was trying to kill him, was pursuing him to take his life. The king knows at this moment that David could have killed him in an instant. He knew that. He knew that there was no way. I mean, David was quiet enough to be able to slip up on Saul and cut a piece of his garment off. And Saul was never aware of this until David told him. Certainly, Saul had, or certainly David had the skills. Certainly David had the opportunity to take Saul out in that moment. So Saul knew he, he should have been dead at that point. And most people that had been treated the way David had been treated would have killed Saul in that moment. Um, so he understands uh, David's actions as a declaration that he would never take his life. He recognizes that he has nothing to fear from David. Uh, and, and for what it's worth, what Saul says, uh, there is a blessing. He actually, um, he offers David a blessing. Um, he says, you have declared this day um, how you have dealt with me in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me in your hands. Um, then in verse 19 he says, So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. That's a blessing. That would be the role of a priest or a patriarch or something like that. Now, What's it worth coming from Saul? I don't know, but maybe God honors it anyway. But he definitely offers David a, a, a blessing. So the king knows that David will rule after him. He, he admits it at this point. Um, around verse 20, he says, or at, at verse 20, he says, I know that you uh, shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Saul acknowledges this at this point. Again, it's not clear whether Saul knows that David's been anointed or if he just recognizes that this is the way things are headed. It, it's, it's not super clear um, what we're looking at here, um, but he definitely knows that not only will David be king, but that David will be a better king than him. God will establish Israel under, or, yeah, God will establish uh, Israel under David's reign. So he recognizes that. Um, and, and, and Saul, at this point, once again, it, at least he seems to be genuine. And, and that, that's, that's the thing about, it's tough to deal with a liar, right? Because they could trick you sometimes and tell the truth. So maybe, maybe Saul was telling the truth here. I'm not going to hurt you this time. I'm not going after you anymore. Maybe he was telling the truth. David doesn't know. Um, but what he does say, he does ask David, just don't cut off my offspring. Don't kill my children. Don't cut off my name from my father's household. Show me that respect. Show me that honor. And David swears. He is, he is ready to swear to that. He's not going to harm Saul's offspring. He's not going to cut him 
um, out of his father's household, David will not lift a finger against Saul in his life. Like that is for sure something that David has promised and something that David delivers on. We have to recognize that. So Saul goes back to his palace. Um, David goes back to his stronghold. Um, I think David has learned by this point you can't trust Saul to stick to his word, so he stays separate and he gets to a strong place that he can defend, that, that, that he doesn't have to run so much. That's kind of what his goal is, 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 to, is to stay away from Saul, to stay out of spear range at least, because you know, Saul is kind of bad about throwing that spear at him. Um, but we have to recognize here um, that even the wicked cannot deny righteousness uh, when they see it. Saul was wicked. He was evil. Uh, the things that he did, he tried to manipulate his children to kill David. He tried to outright kill David. He tried to get David killed by the Philistines. Uh, when he found out that a priest had helped David, he executed not only that priest, but, but, but all of his family at that point. The Bible says women, children, and infants. So, I mean, what we're seeing here is just a wiping out of a family line because this priest gave David some bread. David... Saul was wicked, evil, evil. But what we understand is that even at that, he could recognize true righteousness when he saw it. And, and I would say for us, we need to live in such a way that even the most wicked among us can recognize that we are walking the path of the Lord. That is, that is what we must do. Let that part be undeniable, that we are walking the path of the Lord. So as we wrap this up, you know, we studied in this passage. Um, I think we all need to admit that it would be difficult to act in the manner that David acted. Maybe you wouldn't just walk up and stab Saul in the back. But if you knew that, that, that the, the obstacle that had stopped you from achieving God's will, from moving forward in your life, was right there and you could take it out, how hard would it be? to be patient in that moment? How hard would it be to steal your hand and not do what you know would be the easiest thing to do? I would say that the only way we're going to be able to walk with this kind of integrity is to walk in the power that we receive from Jesus Christ our Savior. If we walk close to Him, if we are true to Him, that's how we can follow after Him. That's how we can avoid these things. And once we do that, I think it's three simple things that we've got to remember. Live close to the Lord, Follow Him and never try to do His job. That third one, you don't hear people say that quite as much as the other two, but it is so important. Don't try to do the job of God. Don't try to set things up. Don't try to move things along. Don't try to be the one that's making the decisions or, or deciding the path. Let God be that. Let God be God. You just be His follower and His servant. And in those cases where you have a decision to make, always be sure you are deciding to follow and obey the Lord. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We just thank you so much for your word, um, especially in a, in, a, in a passage like this where we see David act with such great integrity. Uh, it's truly a challenge to us. What we know is that what David was Jesus was so much greater. We don't worship and serve a king like David. We worship and serve our king, Jesus Christ. And when we worship and serve Jesus Christ, we know that we can live close to Him, that we can follow Him, that we can obey His will. 
Father, you've given us your Spirit. It lives inside of us. The Spirit crying out, Abba, Father. We want to obey you like a child. And I pray that you help us to do that. We may not face a situation exactly like David, but we will face situations where we are forced to either be patient or to take matters into our own hands. I pray that you help us to choose patience by being obedient to your word, by submitting to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and by trusting that your plan is better than our plan, because we know that it is. Lord, help us to walk in that patient, victorious life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.